0: Good morning, my name is Lauren, and I'm a member here at Redeemer, and we're going to be reading in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and this is the ESV. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of God. Thank Thank you, God.
1: God. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Owens. I'm one of the pastors here. You guys got to meet Brian earlier. Um, Thank you for gathering with us this morning. Uh, Just real quick, I've got uh, uh, three things to share. Do not start my time yet. (laughs) Um, Three things. First of all, this is uh, Gidget's last Sunday with us serving as our kids' ministry director. Um, She has served Redeemer faithfully since uh, we launched back in August, and before that, she served the Journey for 15 years since they launched. And before that, she's been serving in ministry for decades. And so, um, we we need to we need to love her and tell her thank you for serving not just Redeemer, not just the Journey, but serving the Kingdom, discipling kids. Um, there's so many um, kids that adults now that were under her discipleship as kids that faithfully love and follow Jesus, and we are so grateful. For Gidget and we're sad uh, that she um, is leaving. But we trust, uh, we're grateful because of what she's how she served the kingdom, but also that she's saying yes to Jesus. Uh, God has called her into a a season of rest. um, And that meant for her stepping away from her duties in ministry. uh, And and she is praying and pursuing what what the future holds for her. Um, But let's she's not going anywhere. She'll, She'll be here at Redeemer. She's a committed member here. And so let's just continue to love on her and tell her thank you uh, and and be sure that that we uh, help her rest and help her feel loved and and a part of the church. Uh, Okay, that's one thing. Another thing, I want to give just a quick backstory. I I mentioned it briefly just now. A a lot of new people here. We're starting a new series. It's a good time just to hit reset real quick and remind everyone how Redeemer got here. Uh, So in 2018... Um, My wife and I felt a call to uh, go into church planting ministry, so we uh, had conversations with our church in Abilene, The Well, and they brought us into a training program. We had zero answers, no idea if we would stay in Abilene, if we would move back to Colorado, if we would move back to Colorado. Um, (laughs) San Angelo was not on our list. In fact, San Angelo... um, we kind of just thought that's not going to happen. God's not going to take us back there. And so in 2020, it took us until January of 2020 to get any answers about where we'd be going. God called us back to San Angelo. And we knew exactly why. And immediately he started giving us the excitement and the heart and the vision for it. And so we moved here in December of 2020. Um, and uh, a few months after we moved here to start planting Redeemer, um, well, before that, in, in the spring of 2020, we invited Brian and Kirstie to join us and asked them to, to co pastor with us in and, and Redeemer. And just, um, we, we knew we couldn't do it alone. And we knew that our decade long friendship with them was a good foundation for us to start with. And we trust and love um, their heart for the gospel and the church. And so uh, God asked us to invite them with us. And so we come here. They were already here. We, Kendall and I, moved here from Abilene with our kids. And in um, the spring of 2020, God calls us to merge with the journey. Uh, they were being taken out of a season of, um, of ministry under a, a pastor, and it kind of just had a lot of question marks. Um, COVID had really um, blown through the the well. The pastor's wife; uh, it was dangerous. Uh, experience for her. We prayed, and God proved himself faithful and healed Kim. I just, I can't not say that. Anytime I talk about the story of Redeemer, I have to emphasize that God healed Kim multiple times because you all were praying. We were all praying together for her, and so God is is faithful to bring us to this point now. We launched in August of 2021, and we're almost a year in, and I can't believe that it. it's, it's almost been a year. We started um, gathering with uh, the people with the journey and, and the core team that we had in June of last year, and it's been uh, a really great year that I'm, I'm very thankful for. We've grown a lot, we've learned a lot, um, and that is, in a not-so-brief statement, the story of Redeemer in a slightly larger nutshell. The third thing that I want to share is why we preach through books, why we have a sermon series called Joshua and not... You know um, what it's like to be a parent, or how to uh, face the challenges of 2022, or something along those lines. We believe that preaching through books gives us the whole counsel of Scripture; that all of God's words in the Bible counsel us and give us wisdom as we seek to follow Him. And so, we're going to preach through books based on the leadership of the Spirit in the the leaders of elder the elders of Redeemer. Um, And God led us to to Joshua. Joshua is a hard book. Joshua has a lot of bloodshed, a lot of question marks like, did God really say that? What does that mean? So Joshua is going to challenge our preconceptions about Christianity. God's going to challenge our preconceptions about who he is and what he's doing. And so we have to approach all of Scripture Asking four questions. And the order of these four questions is incredibly important. And so I'm going to start, um, I'm going to start there. Joshua uh, historically has been labeled over the last uh, couple thousand years as a historical narrative. Really, that's kind of a Western idea. Joshua is solely a historical narrative. That is true. That is not all that's true. The Bible that Jesus used, what we call the Old Testament, was called the Hebrew Bible, and it was categorized into three sections. We have the Torah, which was Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books. We also call that the Pentateuch. Uh, The Torah was the first book of Scripture. It was the first written. It's when, when the Old Testament refers to the law or the teachings of God, it's referring to the Torah. The second category is the prophets, of which Joshua is the first book. And I'll explain that in just a second. The third category is the writings, kind of a junk drawer um, category for things that don't quite fit. The first and most predominant book in the writings is Psalms. So you may hear the writings referred to as the Psalms. The Torah might be referred to as Moses, and so you'll, you'll see Moses, David, in the Psalms, or Moses, the prophets, in the Psalms. Um, and you'll see that Jesus will refer to them that way. That's important because it determines how we read Joshua. If we are reading Joshua simply as, um, this is just the next story that happens. This is just what comes after Moses' death. Joshua's the next guy. That is true, but that is not all that's true. Joshua is in the prophets. The book of the prophets, the category of prophets, is this collection of scrolls. Uh, They didn't have books like this. Their Bibles were in scrolls. The scrolls of the prophets were calling people back to truth. It was revealing the truth of who God is, what he's doing, who we are, and what our response should be. If you read through the prophets, you'll see that theme of identifying God and what he's doing, and, and through that, identifying how, who we are and how we should respond. So Joshua, as a prophet and a historical narrative, tells us a whole lot about Who we are and what we're doing, but first it tells about who God is and what He's doing. So we're gonna ask those four questions. Can I get those four? Are they up on the screen? Did I add those slides? No? Yes, I did. This comes from Jeff Vanderstout. He's a church planter in the SOMA Network. We have to start with who is God? A lot of times we'll start on the back end of that. We'll start, I will start asking, what do I need to be doing? We ask that question predominantly. What do I need to be doing? There is a doing aspect to our Christianity. We can't remove our call to action, our call to love our neighbor, our call to um, be kind, to be peacemakers, to read scripture and pray. We cannot ignore that, but that's not where we begin. We begin asking the question, who is God and what is he doing? Because when we start with what we do, we start, we start wondering, or we start really thinking that our Christianity, our following Jesus, is about what we do. It's first and foremost about what we do. And so we start coming up with a list of all the things that we should be doing, and especially coming up with a list of things that we shouldn't be doing. When we focus on our doing. As the first and foremost aspect of our Christianity, we feel shame. We feel guilt because we can't keep up. Have you ever asked the question of yourself, am I doing enough? Or maybe you've not asked that question, you've just felt, I know I'm not doing enough. Am I kind enough? Do I read my Bible enough? Do I spend enough time with my neighbors? Do I preach the gospel enough? Do I pray enough? Am I Christian enough? Am I good enough? I'll tell you, Kendall and I have a hard enough time getting Willa to ballet on Mondays, getting Simon to his baseball games, and making sure the other two kids are in the car with clothes on. And so to to imagine that adding to our life this this Christian to-do list That shame and guilt just piles on. So how do we keep up? How do we live out our identity to actually be the children of God? To be the chosen, holy, and dearly loved children of God that he says we are. The same question is posed to Joshua and Israel. They're about to walk into a promise. Joshua is about hope. It's about God keeping his promises. It's about God identifying himself and his people and saying, I'm giving you this land as a gift so that it would bless you and you would bless the world. And so they're sitting on the other side of the Jordan River looking in to this promise. They've got to be wondering, I'm sure, how do we... Be the people of God in a land. We've been wanderers in the wilderness for 40 years. And before that, we were slaves. That's where we get that tagline to our our series, No Longer Slaves. How do we live as no longer slaves? For us as believers, no longer slaves to sin. And for Israel and Joshua's audience, no longer slaves in Egypt. Complete shift in identity. So what if, I, what if I told you, not just you can't be good enough, because sometimes that, that's freeing, but a lot of times that can also feel like a beatdown, right? What if I just told you, you don't have to be good enough? That's where freedom is. You don't have to. You don't have to be good enough to, to be who God has made you to be. All the enough is not on your shoulders the freedom and relief that we would know and feel if we truly believed and walked in the identity that Jesus has gives us that gives us, he gives us as being chosen holy and beloved we will not be able to access that we will not be able to walk in that freedom and that joy until we understand that we don't have to be enough You don't have to. You can just tell yourself that, and it's freeing. You don't have to. That line, this, I can't skip over this. When Lauren was reading in Joshua in verse 5, look at verse 5, halfway through it. It says, I will be with you. God makes that promise. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. The literal Hebrew translation of that, God says to him, I will not let you go. What a promise. I will not let you go. I will be with you. You don't have to be enough. What if I told you, that the identity that God gives us as his own children and the purpose that he gives us to bless the world through his message is a promise that's given to us, not something for us to achieve, not something for us to keep polished on our own lives, not something for us to keep up with, but it's a promise that's given to us. Let's look at John 15. John 13 through 17 is It's my favorite um, passages of Scripture uh, in the New Testament for sure, arguably uh, in the Old and New Testaments. But we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 in particular. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I am the true vine at the beginning, right? This is the image of of Jesus as the true vine of which we are the branches. He says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You can, the, the word um, abide can be interchanged with remain. Remain in me and I in you. Isn't that a promise right there? Remain in me, I'm gonna remain in you. That just echoes of Joshua 1. I will not let you go. I will be with you. Remain in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. The outcome of your life is not on you. You don't have to be good enough. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Earlier in John, Jesus tells his disciples, but he tells everybody that's listening, the religious elite that reject him, the people, the the occupying Romans who don't believe in him, he says, um, the spirit does the work, the flesh is no help at all. That's freedom. You don't have to be enough. When Jesus says abide, this is is a thing that we classically can overcomplicate. It is as simple as it seems. When Jesus says abide, he means we're a people called, we're a people made, we're a people designed to trust and follow him. We are a people called and made and designed to trust and follow God. Now, I'm going to use a word. It's it's coming back in in popularity. Um, Some of you may have heard it, the word apprentice. We don't typically use that word. John Mark Comer, one of my um, favorite pastors, preachers, uh, uses that word a lot. The word apprentice means a student of something or someone. right? We follow, like a, a blacksmith's apprentice is learning how to take their spot. Now, I don't I'm not referring to an early 2000s Donald Trump show. Um, If you want to go and Google that, I'd recommend you don't, but you can. We're going to use the word apprentice uh, because I can't rewrite my sermon, even though I know the connotations that that follow that. Um, Being an apprentice is a spiritual reality for the Christian, it's a spiritual reality. When we talk about being an apprentice, we're talking about the disciples as they followed Jesus. They followed him, uh, they ate meals with him, they talked with him, they asked questions with him, they listened to him pray, they followed him around in his shadow. Try and get Donald Trump and Gary Busey out of your heads when you think of the word apprentice and think of Simon Peter and John and James The apostles and the acts that would write the scriptures for us. Help us understand who this Messiah is. I shouldn't have mentioned Gary Busey, should I? Um, I'll give you an illustration real quick, just from my own life, about the word apprentice. So when I was teaching... I was a woodworker's apprentice. I had the privilege to do that for a couple of years. And uh, Kendall picked on me. She called me an elf because I would literally make wooden toys for kids for their Christmas presents. That was my job. (laughs) But every day before school, uh, Monday through Thursday, I'd wake up at 4.45 a.m. I'd put on my shop clothes. I'd pack a bag full of clothes that didn't have holes and stains and dust on them that I could teach in. And I'd show up to Micah's shop. His, uh, the, the guy I was apprenticing, his name is Micah. I'd show up to his shop. Little after five o'clock, we'd drink coffee. We'd, we'd talk about um, edge grains. We'd talk about scroll saws. But he wouldn't, just, he wouldn't just teach me those things. He wouldn't just give me the definition for edge grain. As I watched Micah make these cameras before I did he taught me about the richness and the smoothness of maple he didn't just teach me how to use a chisel but he helped me understand how to respect sharp blades how to let them be an extension of my imagination the time that I spent in Micah's wood shop didn't just teach me about lumber It taught me how to learn, but it also taught me how to follow and how to trust, because I could have come into Micah's shop, and I could have uh, leaned on all of my YouTube skills, all the things that I was self-taught woodworker by the time I came in here. I could have leaned into those things and been like, yeah, guy, I got this. Let me make the cameras for you. That's fine. Just give me my paycheck. Or I could come in and watch and listen and follow, and trust, and learn. I probably did more of the first option. I'm I'm sure that I did more of the first option. But the thing about following, and listening, and learning, and trusting, that's where I grew. Being able to pay attention, and follow somebody, and then practice those things, that's where my growth really began to take place. And Micah made some pretty amazing tables that he allowed me to help build and deliver. And it wasn't just me watching him. It was me helping him. It was me delivering these tables with him. That didn't just grow my skills. It grew my trust in my teacher. Participating in the woodworking experience didn't just teach me about lumber and sharp edges. It taught me how to learn, but it also taught me how to trust. Now, we're all apprentices. We're all followers. So I want to show you that Joshua communicates here in, the, in in chapter one. We can turn back to Joshua. We're done with John for now. Joshua communicates here in chapter one, and throughout the book, something that um, Genesis two communicates to us, something that Psalm one communicates to us. I, would, I, I highly recommend that you write these references down. Genesis 2, Joshua 1, Psalm 1, and then really all of the gospel accounts, but we can summarize that in John 15. So four pieces of scripture, Genesis 2, Joshua 1, Psalm 1, and then John 15. We're not going to go into those, but those are reference points. So Genesis is the beginning of the Torah. Joshua is the beginning of the prophets. Psalms is the beginning of the writings. And the Gospels are the beginning of the New Testament. Every time God starts a new category of Scripture, he reveals to us that we have two ways of living. We have two ways of living. We can trust God to be for our good. We can trust him. That he's good to us, and we can follow his way, or we can distrust God. We can distrust God to be for our good, and we can follow our own way, trust in our own YouTubing and self made skills, and follow our own way. Those are the two options. And if you, go, if you go home later today or later this week and you read Genesis 2, you read Joshua 1, Psalm 1, and John 15, you're going to see there's that dichotomy of options that we're given. And it's all throughout Scripture. Trust God and live. Or trust yourself and perish. The way of sin leads to death. The book of Joshua shows us that we are designed and made and called to be a people who trust God. We trust and follow God. The introduction to Joshua, just starting with verses 1 and 2. What we see in verses 1 and 2 um, gives us a background for the whole book. Genesis one and, or, uh, sorry, Joshua 1 and 2 points us back all the way from Genesis through Deuteronomy. And I'll, I'll start by, by speaking about verse 2. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, we see um, the phrase, this land. So we see that phrase used, and then we see that defined, and then we see this people. And what, what God is referring to when he says this land, this people, he's referring to a promise he made all the way back in Genesis 12 to a man named Abraham. He chose Abraham, and he said, through you, I will make a great nation. Why? Why? What's the point? Through you, I will make a great nation so that you can bless the world. I will bless you to be a blessing. I will make you a nation and give you a home. I'll make you a people and give you a place. Not just so that you can have a good time in Israel and the promised land and hang out by yourself, but so that through my blessing, you would bless the world and bring them in. To this blessing, and he led Abraham into that land. They lived there for a short time, and not too long after they were in that promised land, they needed to seek refuge because there was a famine, there was a drought, and they sought refuge in Egypt. And so Abraham uh, took his or, um, Abraham's descendants took their families into Egypt, where they sought refuge. And this leads us into verse 1, the mention of Moses. The mention of Moses, just simply his name, is meant to automatically conjure up all the memories of the the Torah, from Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy. Not only God's teachings, not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the promises that God made in Genesis starting to be fulfilled in the Exodus. That these people in Egypt eventually found themselves to be slaves, millions of Abraham's descendants. He did make much of that nation. He did make a massive population out of one man and one woman. But they found themselves enslaved in Egypt. And so God called them out through the person of Moses. So the name Moses takes us back to when God saved his people in the Passover. He saved them from death. When God split the Red Sea and saved his people from death. When God made bread rain from the sky and bitter water turn sweet, God saved his people from death. And who was the image of this salvation? Moses. Moses was an incomplete savior. And so for us on this side of the story, we get to look at Moses and be like, Man, Jesus is there in so, mon- so many great ways and even greater ways than Moses. And so Joshua's original audience would just simply see the name Moses and remember all those stories. When we see the name Moses, we see a promise of a Savior that le- was left unfulfilled because the end of Deuteronomy, you can look at uh, chapter 1 of Joshua, look to your left, the end of Deuteronomy, the, the very last subtitle, On 34, it says the death of Moses. The Messiah wasn't supposed to die. The kingdom was supposed to reign forever. Moses is dead. He's not the one. Joshua takes over. I'll give you a glimpse into the future. He's not the one. When God tells Joshua repeatedly through this introduction, be strong and courageous. He's not just making a military command. Because look at the other, what he says about Moses. What does God say about Moses? As I was with Moses, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Moses did some really great things that Joshua was witness to. He was the attendant to, to Moses. He was by him at all times. Joshua was the apprentice of Moses. He knew what God was referring to. God could simply say, as I was with Moses, and Joshua would be like, Okay, you did all those things, so I will be with you. And then the wake comes. Because Joshua steps into the role of Moses, and when God says, be strong and courageous, he's giving him a spiritual calling to lead his people into something, to lead them into an identity and a purpose. It's God saying, things are about to get hard. You're going to need to know the way to go. Don't swerve to the left or to the right, but keep my commandments directly in front of you. Trust in them. I will not let go of you. I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. To be strong and courageous, let's just personalize that for a second. One, as individuals, but also as the church. So in our own lives, being strong and courageous feels like a tall order. But also, as a people, to be strong and courageous feels like a tall order. There's a Jim Gaffigan quote. He says, "Um, life is like you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. (laughs) We've already feel that way. So what what good does it say, hey, here's a baby. Be strong and courageous. It's going to work out. You got it in you. God is not saying you've got it in you. God is not saying be strong and courageous, be the best version of yourself. That is not what Joshua 1 is telling us. Because when your child rejects the gospel, be strong and courageous, you have it in you. That doesn't help. Or when you can't have kids, Just be the best version of yourself. That does not bring you peace. When you can't break the cycle of sin that makes you feel like you're the only person in the world that can't experience freedom from this. That sin feels like slavery. When your loneliness turns into depression and anxiety And the thoughts of suicide might make you feel like you can't share this with anybody because it's too vulnerable. Be strong and courageous. You have it in you. They're empty words. When real life hits, when you're already drowning and someone hands you a baby, be strong and courageous. Be the best version of yourself. You have it in you. Can feel like someone then hands you a Bible and tells you to read it. That is not the call that God is giving Joshua. That is not the way of Jesus. When God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, he sandwiches that with, I will be with you. I will not let you go. You can be strong. You can be courageous because I will never forsake you. You're not drowning anymore. Look at verse 9. This is the most emphatic, the most defined expression of God saying, be strong and courageous. In the whole book, verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God, Yahweh, Elohim, is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. Wherever you go. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Whether you choose way number one to trust in him, or you choose way number two to trust in yourself, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You don't have to be good enough. Praise God. You don't have to be good enough. I'm confident in this because we have more than just Joshua 1 that tells us this is true. Look at Matthew 11:28 through30. I think I forgot to give you guys this one. Matthew 11: 28 through30. What does Jesus say to his people? It's okay. I hear the pages turning. We have phones. Jesus says, Follow me. Take my yoke upon you. Take my teaching upon you. Take my way of living upon you. Because it's easy, it's light. Not only is it easy and light, we're not not to pursue the way of Jesus just because it's easy and light, but because the very last thing he says, and you will find rest for your souls. The way of Jesus was designed to be rest for our souls. And it's through the way of Jesus that we just inevitably go in the first way of living, that we trust God and follow him. Why is the way of Jesus easier? Why is it better? Why is it rest for our souls? So the references to um, the Torah that Joshua makes here, that Joshua 1 makes, the references to... um, Moses and the promises are kind of building up this this promise that God makes, but it also kind of builds up this problem, the problem of sin. The way of Jesus is easier because Jesus has gone before us. We know that Adam and Eve failed in the garden, right? And we can't point the finger at them. We would have done the same. We know that Adam and Eve failed in the garden, but Jesus comes and he says, I am the son of Adam. Jesus was the truer and greater Adam. Jesus was the truer and greater Moses. Jesus was the truer and greater Joshua. Jesus was the truer and greater Israel. Jesus is the truer and greater human. Fully God, fully man, come to earth put on human flesh, despised the shame, died on the cross so that all of the wickedness of way two that we constantly and inevitably choose would be dealt with. The end of that, the the sin that leads to death, that's not our future or our hope anymore. We don't have to be bound by that. We don't have to be good enough to get ourselves out of that way and into the way of God. Jesus did that for us. Jesus fulfilled the Torah. Jesus kept God's word straight in front of him and did not swerve to the left or to the right so that in him we would not swerve to the left or to the right. Jesus perfectly lived this first way and he offers it to us freely. All he asked for is our trust you can listen to the words of joshua 1 and it's god saying arise go to this jordan It's another way to say okay time's up the waiting's over what does jesus say in mark chapter one the time is fulfilled wait no more the kingdom is at hand and what is how does he call us into that he said be better just be good people no The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. This is good news. To repent means to turn from your way and trust in the way of Jesus. So a couple of practical things to help us respond to this call to be apprentices of Jesus, to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus to trust and follow God. Practical things for us to understand, our calling and our design to trust and follow God. In Joshua 1 verse 8, it says to meditate on God's teachings. Now, the word law, the uh, lowercase l law, can be easily translated as teachings, instructions. So when we talk about the law of God or the book of the law, we're talking about the book of the teachings, we're talking about the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy, primarily Deuteronomy, um, Leviticus, and parts of Exodus. That word meditate. Let's look at that, verse 8. This book of the law, or this book of the teachings, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You'll see that all throughout Scripture. It's in Psalm 1 when you read that. The word meditate. That is the Hebrew word "haga"? That word means to mumble, to murmur. How do you memorize something? Y'all, y'all do any like scripture memory or memorize things for work? Um, there was I had a, a friend who is a mentalist, like he could just freaky stuff, like n- figure out your phone code. He taught us this this thing that if we memorized this saying, we could always remember people's names. I forgot the saying, so I, I struggle with people's names. So I'm sorry. Um, I'll call him and, and ask him to give me that back. The point is, scripture is meditation literature. It's meant for us to dwell on it, not just for us to memorize. That's that's shallow. To meditate, to let it always be on our lips. That we, we pursue understanding by considering the whole, by understanding the whole story. So we read through it quickly and we read through it slowly. We get the whole picture and we get the zoomed in picture. We meditate on scripture. We haggah scripture. It's on our lips. Like I said before, they didn't have Bibles like this. They had scrolls and they were rare. They weren't like in everyone's homes they were in the synagogue, and the synagogue probably didn't even have all of them. The synagogue was like this, the place of teaching. And so how did, how did they know when Joshua says Moses, and the rabbi reads the word Moses, how do they know all the stories of Moses? They've been told them their whole lives, and they, they remember all of the miracles and promises that God had made to them. They memorized it. It was like... like you were 5 years old or 6 years old by the time you had the whole torah memorized because they just constantly said it meditate on scripture there's there's one practical thing but as you meditate remember those four questions can we get those back up the four questions to meditate on scripture who is god so i'm going to go through the book of joshua and read through that just keeping in mind who is god And then I'm going to go back through the book of Joshua and I'm going to read through that. What is God doing? Who are we? What are we doing? And then you get your grasp of the book of Joshua by reading it over and over, but you see the fine details and the beauty in scripture and what God is calling us by zooming in and slowing down and taking the time to meditate, to let that always be on your mind. Audio Bibles are great for this. We actually, um, I'll plug Dwell. We have, I, this was unplanned, but we have um, a Dwell account. Have y'all heard of Dwell? It's an app that allows you to listen to the audio Bible. We have a slide that gives you access to that. If anybody wants to, there you go, snap a picture of that and then visit that website. You do have to type all that in. Um, but that's an audio Bible for free right there, the whole Bible. And it's, it's got lots of different voices. Um, audio Bibles are, the, are a great way to meditate on Scripture and keep them always on the, the front of your lips. But as you read, as you ask these questions, also don't forget to pray. And by pray, I, I don't mean that it has to be this formal thing. You have to have a, a rug laid out and you have to have your prayer book. You, you can, that's great. You do not have to do that. Prayer is simply talking with God. We'll see Joshua keep God's law, on, keeps God, keep God's teachings on his lips. He proclaims them to Israel. He responds to them with obedience. But we also see Joshua pray. He gives us that example. And what he's praying through is God's teachings. What do I do? I'm gonna meditate on your teachings. And he talks to God. But listen, here's an important aspect to prayer. Don't forget to listen. Don't forget to listen because if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. The Holy Spirit speaks to you, sometimes audibly. Sometimes you just know and sometimes you wonder. So regardless of what that is, I would encourage you to lean into your place in the body of Christ as a believer, as a part of the church, lean into your relationships with the church and ask for wisdom. Talk to your friends, talk to the the people um, that you're in relationship that are also Christians that uh, you trust to discern the wisdom of God through Scripture and prayer. And, and say, hey, you know, I was praying and I feel like God just opened this to me and showed me this thing that the Spirit spoke to me through Scripture or through this time of prayer or spoke into this aspect of my life. I just wanted to like talk to you about that and help, help us understand if this is really what God is saying to me. So we meditate on Scripture, and we pray. This is being an apprentice of Jesus. You can read through the Gospels. How does Jesus go about his life? By following the Father. He says, I can't do anything without the Father telling me to do it. Well, how does he know that? Through meditating on Scripture and praying. And so often, already in Mark 1, if you look at Mark 1, uh, Jesus is already out praying. praying before chapter one is over. So, um, as we move into our time of communion, we've got our tables here. Uh, I will say we've moved these um, a couple times already. They may, they may move again, so we're just going to keep pointing them out to you. But our, our communion tables are um, on both sides of the room, up here at the front. Um, be sure to, uh, pro tip, shake the, the thing. It gets all the sediment mixed up. Or don't. Live your life. Um, but if you have not put your trust in Jesus this morning, I want to ask that you would refrain from partaking in communion. And I would ask that you would consider following him, consider what he's done for you in going before you and perfectly living that first way of life. And he's already accomplished that. You don't have to be good enough. You simply get to Trust. I ask that you refrain from the elements and, and pray and ask God to help you trust. For the church, for those that, that we do already trust and believe in Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we will take the cup, um, the body of Jesus will take the, the juice, the blood of Christ. We celebrate and we remember that he has gone before us. We celebrate and we remember the sacrifice he made, the perfect life that he lived, and the resurrection that he experienced so that we would experience that same resurrection in him. Let's celebrate this morning. Holy Father, we come to you needy and broken. We come to you begging for your mercy and your grace because we know that you give it out. We know that in your son, Jesus, you have already given out your mercy and your grace to us. And so we appeal to you, Father, because of your son, Jesus, would you continue to show us grace and mercy? And would you lead us in this way, this ancient way, that leads to life, that leads to righteousness? Would you give us strength and courage that only comes from your Holy Spirit, that we could trust in you and follow in your ways. And that as we trust you and we follow you to be our strength and our courage, God, that we would act responsibly with the gospel, that we would preach it to those who don't know it. And that we would love one another with a love that can only be explained by the gospel, that can only be explained by the love that you've given us. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the book of Joshua. Would you lead us and guide us as we study your word together?